We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Welcome to the World Cup Coaches Edition. So, just with the excitement of the, the, the tournament building, I wanted to preview the competition with a different kind of angle from a coaching preparation and looking at what you would do as a coach if you were in charge of one of the nations competing in this year's tournament. So we've got an absolutely brilliant panel um, that I've interviewed at different stages over the past few weeks. Uh, We've got someone who's worked at the youth levels, at international, competed at international level, uh, someone who's worked at national team level as a head coach, international level, someone who's played in two World Cups, uh, and then someone who works at the elite level in the US. So different perspectives, different backgrounds. What I'm curious to see is the kind of variation in how they look at the preparation, how they would manage their staff, how they would recruit their staff, what they would do with players in the, their off time, how they would manage the boredom of a four-week tournament, how could they peak at the right time, Obviously, what are they looking for then is, the, is tournament trends in terms of the tactical trends that we'll be seeing from coaches. And then who do we think is going to win it, of course, the bit of the fun part. So different type of podcast. Um, hopefully, it'll, it'll add to the buzz of the tournament. But it also, I want to try and get it from a coach's point of view when we've got this month, this festival of football to watch as a coaching community, that we don't just you know, take it in as, oh, that was a great goal or... Uh, they should have played him or uh, can we look at it a little bit deeper in terms of get a feel for what who's preparing in what way and and then uh, and then go from there and I think that'll grow the game a little bit further if we're looking at these things and asking these questions and uh, and asking ourselves what we would do in, in those situations too so we'd love to hear your thoughts as always on on this on the topics on which coach you you know resonated the most with you which one you disagreed with um, and anything that you have in terms of input, love to hear it. This there should be a couple of of areas of uh, of disagreement and debate in this for sure. So this should be good. Um, as always, find me on Twitter at Gary Kernin, Instagram at Gary Kernin, Facebook Coach Kernin. First up, we've got Craig Harrington. Craig is on the staff with me at the Chicago Red Star, so I didn't have to go too far to interview him uh, we did this in the locker room just before one of the training sessions this week but obviously with the tournament approaching um, as a coaching staff you're always talking about things and from an English and Irish perspective you're always debating things that you would do in for two countries so close together we seem to have so many different conflicting views on the game and preparation so I thought well why not throw this on a podcast and and open it up for debate so uh, Craig was the head coach at Turks and Caicos so he's worked at the international head coach at international level um, with a different type of resource where we think these countries and these teams have unlimited budgets and and Craig that's probably a different podcast the challenges that these coaches do face so what I wanted to get was his insight from that level but also a level of as an Englishman and an English fan and I wanted to see how he would structure the English team from that there. So um, here he is. Enjoy. Craig, thanks for joining me today. Manager of a World Cup. Team's coming off a busy schedule. What's your philosophy on your training? The week, two-week period of preparation for the, the World Cup. Do you train hard? Do you take it easy? What do you do? It's, yeah, so I think it's a combination of both in that sense of getting out of that question. You've got the two extremes. But I think ultimately going into the World Cup, you want to be... Looking and I would be looking a lot at scenario training, situational stuff. Uh, what needs to happen in certain games to get through the group, and ultimately as you get through that. But but are you a goal up, goal down? Uh, do we need a draw? 
those kind of things. It would just be situational scenario football training. But I think you'd have to put a lot of work into the World Cup. You can't ignore that. But leading into that, everyone on their own plans of people coming for the Champions League finals, people coming off heavy seasons. But ultimately, if you're talking about two weeks out for me, getting closer to 10 days, everyone's in, everyone's working towards that goal of winning the World Cup. So let's talk Premier League and okay. specifically, because it's the most physically demanding league in the world. Yep. You're Gareth Southgate right now. Physically, how do you manage the team? <sighs> physically, I think, obviously, so take Liverpool, got some players from Liverpool that play in the Champions League final. Uh, they get a break. The players that play in the Premiership, they get a break. So everyone's given a week off for me, and then you come in. So that would probably give us, that be two weeks out from the World Cup. So now we're looking at, we. How many days away are we now? We're four days away. Four days away, days away now, yeah. So everyone, everyone probably probably ten days ago, I think I would have everyone in. Uh, and even if it's just some of them mentally gauging scenarios, situationals, looking at their responsibility of, of what their impact is and then even going as far as to break it down within the teams within the team, the units working with the defenders, then working with the midfielders, working with the fours on their on their own individual stuff. Um, a lot of video analysis, uh, a lot of discussions uh, with the players. Uh, especially the captains, uh, what what we want to do. But for me, again, I think it's just work, going to the World Cup and make sure that every situation, scenario is being covered. Uh, so when you come into it, you've already gone through and prepared as best as possible. You wouldn't let them sit by the pool all day and have drinks and then have no. a few days? No, you wouldn't be at that. You no, be at that absolutely not. Well. No, yeah. no, absolutely not. And, and, I, and I can see where a lot of people say that's something that needs to happen, but I just don't think, as the coach, I could live with that going through that and if you failed looking back on those things saying we didn't cover uh, and try and get everything done as best we could in that preparation what about then to talk about staff and say you've got all right i'm the federation head of the federation you're the head coach i give you a budget of 10 no i only give you six staff break down your six assistant coaches in terms of what they would specialize in Okay, first, uh, one, one assistant coach uh, that's just in charge of scouting. Then I would be very much proponent of having specialists in the department. So defenders coach, midfielders coach, fours coach. Uh, the defenders coach, for example, will be charged in the defending, be charged in um, counter-attacking uh, and look at and break it up in that within the moments of the game that that coach is specifically responsible for and how that gets communicated to the players. And then as the head coach, just making sure that then everyone is in line in the direction we want to go and, and talking to the individuals. But ultimately, for me, I think the responsibility is on those coaches, the best of what they do to, to lead and, and take those what they're given. Um, obviously, the goalkeeper coach and then that person will be in charge of the set plays from attacking and defensive point of view mm. uh, and getting them all on board that way. But I think it's definitely making sure the units are covered um, and everyone chipping in. Would you change your staff, no one that you probably can't afford the six best coaches in the country because they're going to be with Premier League teams or the biggest clubs. Yep. Would you be open to taking on four or five new coaches for the tournament without having worked with them before? No. You wouldn't do I that? Wouldn't, and the reason I wouldn't do that is because I think, obviously you've gone through a process, unless you're the, the nation that's hosting it, qualifying, uh, and you look at Brazil, who I think chose the majority of their squad in January, maybe in mm. December. So. I think ideally if you can get to that point of having that continuity of knowing who your players are, the coaches in place, the work that's gone in place for the last two years leading up to the World Cup of qualifying, where you're staying, then once the draw's done, who you're playing, that you obviously want those people that have spent that time and those resources and also it's their job. If you're coming from a club position, it's not your first priority. Your first priority was for you know Liverpool trying to win the Champions League, so you've been obsessed with that and now to come in. Are they mentally then just enjoying it, being part of a World Cup? Whereas the coaches that you may have with you, your job is ultimately just to go and do the best. And, and for me, it'd be about trying to win the World Cup. Yeah. You mentioned uh, set pieces, scouting. As an Englishman, how would you approach the dreaded penalty kicks? Practice, practice, and practice. You would? I would just practice. I, I just think feel good factor, obviously, in analyzing the opposition goalkeepers' tendencies. I uh, know you can't recreate it, but but again, this is a coach. If you haven't practiced it and you go in a penalty shootout and you miss them and you haven't practiced them, how do you then look at yourself in the mirror and answer those own questions of, of what did we do to, to cover every base for us to be successful at a tournament? Your captain comes to you 
the week before and says like or the week of it's your first week and it's like right boss I'm bored players are a bit bored how do you approach this there's always a stigma that goes with England teams yep. isn't there yep. how do you approach that uh, families do you allow the families in I would allow the families I, I, and I wouldn't and going back to that I wouldn't fly out to the World Cup as soon as some nations have I think I would delay it as, as long as possible to make sure they're still in their own country they sleep at home or the hotels or bring the families in that then it's it's a part of their part of that as well all the sacrifices those people have made and the love and support that they offer those players just from a relaxing point of view to get away from 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 the enormity of going to World Cup will be very helpful uh, but with regards to the board and stuff I think you make committees the team committees if, if they want to do field trips I think it's important to go to a country and experience the culture enjoy yeah. the the country what it has to offer and, and use that as a place to also educate the players uh, of a different place and different culture so I think that would definitely be something that you want to take part in and make sure that you weren't just within your four walls of your training centre all the time and obsessed that you need to get out and, and enjoy what that country has to offer We've spoke before about how you would structure a squad then because you, you said that you wouldn't after the players because it's always from 16 onwards you don't yep. really use you would look at per certain personality traits for that there talk about that Yeah I think once you get your your one through 16, 15 players that you know you're going to rely on. For me, then those next players are the utility players that can do multiple roles on the field, but ultimately, what are they like off the field? Are they going to be supportive? Are they going to be good people? Because I think you've also got enough stuff that's going on around the World Cup that you've got to deal with with media, uh, appearances, the games themselves, the trainings, the travel, that, that you don't really want to, have to be dealing with bad people that are causing you problems knocking your door or causing discomfort with other people. So I think ultimately it then becomes who are those good people, what they can then bring to the table and in regards to what you said earlier, are they good with the social stuff? Are they are they are they are they funny? Are they are they easy to be around? Are they outgoing? Um, are they also strong leaders uh, that have experience in situations and just the one because James Milner right now, you know obviously his his choices want to go, but he would be someone if he's not in your fifteen players and that's debate as well but he would be someone with that experience and that leadership that I think would be very good to have around the squad mm. and maybe even going back bringing in players that have played in tournaments and making them part of the, the very bigger background squad uh, but again make sure they offer not just a personality but making sure that those people are involved in the game but can then probably offer some insight and some help to, to the players that are there What do you think the tournament in terms of What's the tournament going to bring tactically? Oh, great question. Great question. There's so many different nations that are in the World Cup for you know, kind of the unknown as well, so I think it's really exciting. Um, obviously, the Spanish have got their possession based, but they're a bit more direct now. Um, yeah, great question. I, I would I'd say I think it's probably going to be a bit more counter-attacking again. I think it's going to be fast breaks. Um, in those in those amazing moments, and then again, set pieces will come massively into it. I think corners, free kicks. Uh, I think the games and, and the smaller nations are closing that gap as well as we've already seen with the qualifying. Um, that the, the games are going to be a lot tighter than I think everyone imagines. I don't really see any massive blowout games from the past. We've we've had that at World Cups, uh, but for me, I still think it's going to be based on absorbing pressure and and, and hitting teams on the counter attack as quickly as possible. Who's going to win it? England. <laughs> Seriously, no. Oh, England, can't look past England. Uh, okay, top. Yeah, without top my three. Give us a top three. The Germans, Brazilians, Spanish, Spanish. Yeah, and then England, dark horses. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. All right, cheers, Craig. Thanks to Craig for his insight and his time there. So. In our discussions around the office and the locker rooms about the tournament, I would, I agree with them a hundred percent on the fact that, you know, you, your preparation, you get it completely right, and you don't want to be taking it easy. You don't want to turn it into a summer camp. You want to keep the group serious and businesslike because, like Craig said, you've only got, you know, you only get one go with this sometimes. So I really like that their side of it, and we agree on that. Where we disagree would be the area of the squad list uh, in terms of he would go more character and I would go more, I'd opt for a little bit more variety in the types of players. So when you're looking at uh, 60, 70 minute mark and you're playing against a team and you can't break through, I would opt for different types of players that could unlock the game in a way. 
uh, and maybe create a chance or two or maybe it's a defender that allows you just to change the defence up a little bit. So um, I wouldn't prioritise character. I can see why he does. Uh, but I think it's a great point that if you're looking at squads then and if you're looking even at the national team and international team level, you know how important it is that, that the group you have is a, is a group that's together and a group of similar characters. So interesting points there from Craig for sure. So coming up next is Erwin van Bennekom. Erwin is an absolutely brilliant. So coming up next is Erwin van Bennekom. Erwin is the associate head coach at Duke University Women's Soccer, one of the top teams consistently in the U.S. college game. Uh, Erwin is is also an enthusiastic Dutchman who, with an opinion or two about the game and the way it should be played. So I was excited to get him on. Um, obviously, getting through the piece about the frustration about Holland not qualifying. Um, but I did want to ask what he thought of that there and how he thinks the game should be moving forward in Holland um, and how he thinks he would prepare. Erwin's a big, big tactical guy. So I wanted to see what his preparations would be like on a tactical level leading into the tournament. Erwin, thanks for joining me this morning on the, yeah, on the having me. Modern Soccer Coach World Cup special. Hey, it, hurts, so, it hurts a little bit, to uh, be honest. I know, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm trying not to go there this morning. So, <laughs> um, All right, hey, scenario for you. You're the head coach of a World Cup team. Um, you've just come off a, a tough season. Your players have just come off a tough season. Yeah. How do you approach the two-week period leading up? Um, so, yeah, that, uh, that's a tough question. Obviously, um, some of the teams probably have different you know, players. Some of, the, some of the teams, some of the players have ended uh, a month ago and some of them have played Champions League finals and they ended a week and a half ago. So it's a, it's a little different. But I think the, uh, the, the overall training load should be, uh, and even the, not so much the, the physical training load, but also the mental load can be too much, I think, because they just came, like you said, came out of a tough season. So, um, But you obviously have to get some work done to get prepared, prepared to uh, start winning some games. So I think the, the overall load can be uh, somewhat lower from a tactical and, and a physical perspective, but the intensity of it should be, uh, should be high. So maybe like short, intense sessions with a, with a clear structure in mind that, um, you know, I think the... the the, the tough part is that um, you can't really have it wrong. Like even in college, you know, if we lose a game, it's it's obviously hard. But in the World Cup, you lose one group game, you might you probably won't go to the next round. So uh, I think you you got to be very concise in, in the way you play. And hopefully, hopefully, most of those teams have have like a, a standard culture through the federation and through their qualification. Um, where but with some of the teams. Um, if I'm, you know, I read an article yesterday about Australia that just hired uh, Bedford Marwijk uh, two months ago, and so he has not worked with the players whatsoever. So he's putting everything into play right now. So uh, that's a completely different story. But again, what I, what I would do is uh, something really structured, um, maybe not as detailed as normal because you can only do so much. But a real structured game model and and intense short sessions um, with the overall load maybe be a little lower. Um, but get as much out of it as possible. How would you structure, if you were the manager of Argentina, and yeah. you know that you have the player who's going to make the difference, who has the potential to probably win the World Cup for you. Yeah. In your, say you're starting in January, how, how would you have approached your, would you have implemented your game model then, knowing that teams are going to scout the life out of it before the summer? Or would you hold back on it and do everything closed doors? Yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, I think if the, if the, if the, yeah, if the game model is done well, I think other teams can scout whatever they want. But I think a game model is not just plan A. It's also, okay, if they, if we do this and they do this, then we do that. So it's always, I think there's not just what we do, but also what we do against somebody that does something against us, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that for me, it would be a, you know, a clear structure through the whole qualification. I, I love what, you know, growing up with, with the federation that I kind of was not part of as a player, but just grow up when in the coaching schools, there was the game model set. You know, we played 4-3-3 and 
the way we defended was set, the way we attacked was set, the way we built was set, everything was set. So even the Dutch national team, everybody just knew exactly what we we're going to do until, you know, obviously with Fengal's last World Cup, we played completely, you know, a different way. But I think that was our success as a small nation to have like a clear structure that even the youth teams, you know, all those players that went through the youth ranks, it was just one way of playing. Most of the club teams played that way. You know, most of the players that were on the Dutch national team were still playing in Holland when we were successful. So everybody got the same medication. So for the national team coach, we pretty much just put the right players in the right places and, and let them play. And now it's, you know, it seems like every coach still has to figure out what needs to happen. Yeah, I've spoke with a couple of English coaches and, you know, following the English media like I have for the, my whole life, basically, always a, a, a problem in English tournaments always come with this boredom. The players always complain that they're away for too long, they're cooped up, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Is that, ever, is that ever addressed or brought up or an issue in the Dutch media? Well, we seem to have, we seem to have issues all the time. Like every tournament we go to, there's some sort of issue, right? You know? But so, yeah, I, I think so. But I, I think any team that you, any any group of people that you put together for four weeks straight or five weeks straight or six weeks straight, whatever it is, and you put them together in the, in the same rooms, in the same hotel rooms and, and all of that, you know, I think issues will come up. So I think, you know, to avoid that boredom, um, you definitely have to, have to make it entertaining, you know, for, for the group. So... Um, not sure. <laughs> yeah, what, how that is, but but um, what about like the Dutch? That it's more confrontation. There's been arguments, fights, bust ups. Yeah. Uh, why has that happened? Or I, I think it's just Dutch people in general. Everybody, <laughs> everybody has an opinion, and uh, um, I think uh, they say we have 17 million um, national team coaches in Holland. Um, <laughs> I think other other players know their stuff, and I think it's well. You know, some of those players got such a, you know such a great background of teams and clubs and coaches they play for. And now they go play for a national team where maybe the structure is not that much in play and the, and the details are not that work, you know, because they just can't be like the detail of the way a team plays for a national team. It can be as structured as in a club environment. Like let's say you have a player that comes from Man City and goes play for the national team. They go from crazy detail and knowing exactly what to do at what time to national team where it's kind of very broad and kind of the main principles are probably set, but everything that needs to be done is, is very small. So I, I think uh, I think that's where some of the issues maybe with, with the Dutch team, but some of the teams come in that you know um, that it's more like the players are kind of creating maybe the way of playing uh, instead of it's already laid out. Just again, go back to the tactical analysis piece and your your role as a head coach. And what would you want from your scouting department for your opposition specifically? Yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest one um, would be, you know, where, where is the team going to defend us? You know, see, you see some of the groups, you know, if you have, I watched the game with Australia last week and you, you see them play, it's, you know, they're defending 10 yards on their own half. So I think that just seeing where a team is going to defend us or what we think where a team is going to start defending us, you know, be completely different to, to start building, you know, on the opponent's half or in your own penalty box. So I think that, especially getting through the group phase, you know, you're going to see some teams that I think that'd be important to know. I think once you get through that next phase, you know, when the, the, the smaller countries or the lower level countries are phased out, I think then it, it, it may be a little bit more important to see what a country does with the ball um, than without the ball. So I think initially, you know, if you play Iran and Australia and some of those countries that, Panama and uh, like what what are they doing without the ball where are they defending us um, and then you know for example if I'm you know to bring up Australia again I watched Australia and they just I, I read an interview with Tamarek I think they spent the last three weeks on how they're going to defend um, purely how they're going to defend because that's how they feel they're going to be able to compete in, in most of the games so I think it purely is based on uh, what, the, what the other teams in the group would be um, but yeah, again, I, I would try to figure out first like how our teams, are, what, what we think, how teams are going to defend against us. What about your staff? Say, again, you're you're the manager Holland going into this tournament, and I give you a blank checkbook to hire six coaches. What, what type of staff would you put together? 
Um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, like a set piece specialist for sure, because you feel like if you want to win a World Cup, you know, in between penalties, in between, you know, free kicks, corner kicks, defending and attacking, to have somebody on staff that's just, that has all the details. And um, I think that's going to, if, you, if your goal is to win a World Cup, I think you're going to, you have to win one round of penalties. You probably, you know, if the average is 30% set pieces, goals against and goals for it. And, you know, I think that that's a really important piece. And then obviously, I think a top scout, you know, somebody that's best in the world in terms of scouting opponents and opponent analysis. Um, and then field guys that I think are similar minded in terms of how the team should be playing and, and have a great um, understanding of how to implement um, the, the way we want to play. Okay. Last question for you. Who's going to win it? Uh you know, I saw Germany and Spain play back in, uh, I guess it was in March, uh, in a friendly. Uh, and the first half of that game, the game ended, I think, in 1-1. The, the first half was better than the second half. But I saw those two, two teams play uh, in, in that friendly. And it was the best 45 minutes of soccer I've ever seen from both sides. So um, I think Germany is going to win. I hate to say it. <laughs> they're going to win it. But uh, I, think, uh, I think they're going to win it. Um, I think uh, I think they got the right mix of players of age, and I think they got maybe they got a, obviously a really strong group, but they don't have too many good players. You know, if I see the the, the squad that France has and, and Spain and Brazil, I think I feel like they have too many good players going to sit on the bench. Now Germany has a couple of players that are going to sit on the bench as well, but they might be the next tier. So I think there's a maybe a, a hierarchy that's maybe a little bit more determined than some of the other teams. And what's next for Dutch soccer? In terms of like every everyone almost is kind of presses the reset button. There's a no, number of big countries like Northern yeah. Ireland, of course, who aren't there. Um, yeah. What 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 would you like to see happen domestically in terms of coaching or the or the structure of the national team? No, I, I, that's a great question. I just hate that we're um, we're following what everybody else is doing. You know, I think England is doing that a little bit. You know, you see a few teams start playing in a in a three five two or. Three, four, two, one, whatever, and we do the same thing because suddenly we don't have certain players, and we have to play a, a, a certain way that um, a certain way that um, is more pragmatic. And I think we just need to go back to what we always have done, and go back to our way of playing, and put it through all the U teams, and and just do our thing and stick by it, and not just the, the flavor of the of the day. And um, and and I think while we're doing what we what we always used to do, I think we've got to be a little bit smarter because the game has changed. And, um, but I think we need to go back to our identity and, and create our own style again and be kind of on the, we were always on the forefront of, of tactical development and I think we're now following others, which kind of hurts. What, what's, what about yourself personally? What, what is there an area of the game that you're looking at specifically during this World Cup that you're going to study? Yeah, I think, I think uh, defending in possession, I think, you know, we've talked about it in the past. I think, just uh, the numbers, you know, uh, how how teams position themselves with the ball to set up to prevent the counter. Like, what are they doing with, you know, the, the players are still being able to, that a team still be able to keep the ball and, and, and play through, play forward, but while doing that to, to keep a, a good balance and to avoid getting countered. You know, I think a lot of the smaller countries are obviously getting really good at, at counterattacking and defending deep, but can... The, the bigger countries can they still can they still break those teams down without maybe sending too many numbers forward and still keeping balanced and how many you know like how many players are do teams keep in the middle of the field you know you see obviously more and more teams playing with more players inside you know um, is that a trend that's going to continue especially against smaller countries so I, I'm interested to see that and I think in the Champions League it was great to see and um, and I think it's it's going to continue and hopefully hopefully it's going to follow the trend of the Champions League that this what like the, Champions League this year with so many goals and teams being open and quick counter-attacking and quick um, everything is fast I, I hope to see a, a World Cup like that but mm. we'll see Brilliant Brilliant Erwin thanks so much I appreciate your time today and we'll, we'll get you on again soon for sure Alright thanks Gary really appreciate thanks, Erwin. it Thanks so much to Erwin for joining us there We used to be at the forefront of tactical development but now we're following others, which kind of hurts. Wow, wow. 
from a Dutchman who is concerned about what's going on and, and the pride he has in in what Holland have given the football world. Um, absolutely brilliant insight from Erwin. Um, big things for me there was, you know, he, he talked about the issues that players would have coming from a, a system or a coach who's who's tactically advanced and then going to play for a country that maybe is a little bit more simplified in their way of playing. And those players will look at that environment and then take on a little bit of a different view, um, probably have more of an input, but also bring a little bit more maybe tension with players, tension with coaches, and how that maybe can affect the team dynamic, like he said it done for the Dutch team so long ago. And I never thought of that before, so I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, I also, also, you know, when you're about his staffing, you hear that he wants a top scout for the analysis piece and he also wants a set-piece specialist. Um, so everyone thinks of the game so tactically that is why I really enjoy talking to him. So I'm going to try and get him on um, in, during the World Cup, uh, maybe after the group stages, to see what he's getting as a coach and where he thinks teams are in certain areas um, his his insight is absolutely brilliant so thanks to Erwin and uh, yeah hope you enjoyed that give him a follow on Twitter if you haven't already Erwin van Benekom he's absolutely top class okay next up is Barcelona legend Jose Maria Baquero 260 appearances for Barcelona he's lifted every trophy in European football including the Champions League played for Cruyff was Cruyff's captain Still involved with the Barcelona youth teams and the reserve teams. Played for Spain in the 1990 and 1994 World Cup as well. So an absolute legend of Spanish football. His son John is based here in Chicago. He's with the Chicago Fire. His first year here as a centre forward. And once I realised John was on the roster, um, I tapped him up and said, Hey, is your dad about or if he is about any chance of getting a coffee with him? And John was different class. He... He made it happen, and not only did he make it happen, he stepped in and uh, and translated as well. So John John definitely went above and beyond, which uh, I'm really really grateful for. So this is a little bit of a different one. I did this uh, a couple of months ago, but I haven't published it because it's a lot of uh, John translating, and the audio was a little bit off. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna work on it over the summer and and get it out because, as you would expect, his his insight is on. Believable. So I just asked him a little bit about the World Cup preparations, uh, and here it is. Yeah, the World Cup question. How how would you would you train no, hard? Normalmente llegas llegas. Normalmente llegas cansado de todo el año. Normally you're tired from the whole season. Normalmente el entrenador lo que busca es buena armonía, good harmony between y buena alimentación, nutrition y relajación and relax. Y la semana previa poco activación y vas cogiendo ritmo con los partidos de hecho los equipos como histórico Alemania todos estos empezaban siempre y luego y cuando empezan un partido dos tres cuatro cinco pero eso está muy estudiado hoy día La preparación física hoy día está muy, 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 muy clara. Está muy medido porque los entrenadores conocen perfectamente los minutos que ha jugado cada jugador. Y cuando llegan a la selección, dicen, pues tú tres días libres, ella cinco, yo tengo que entrenar. ¿Hay mucho entrenamiento de fitness en Barcelona hoy? No. Recuperación, activación y competición. Recovery, activation and y competition. competición. Gyms? Uh, no. 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 En, Bar en Barcelona el gimnasio se hace, se hace en el campo. Solo el gimnasio es para tema individual. The gym is only individual. Tú necesitas esto, o necesitas más esto, o más esto, pero como equipo, como grupo, no. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm going to try and get that podcast up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it is absolutely brilliant. It's one of the best experiences of my life, sitting and having a chat with someone who had played at the highest level with people like Guardiola, Koeman, Stoichkov, 
Romario and then played for for manager like like Johan Cruyff and is still involved in football and went into the managing side himself with Sociedad and has his son involved in the game so there's the area of like his mentor and his son through his professional experience as well his insight was just it was it was unbelievable um and not just about football as well just life and culture and and the simple things the importance of attitude the importance of work ethic things that we 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 look at the spanish team and we we look at guardiola and sometimes we we look for the complex all the time we want the complicated answer but sometimes you find these people are just so good at the basics and just look at have such a clear picture of the game and life and that's why they're they're so successful so that'll be that'll be coming up uh, in the near future um once i get it all done with the audio and everything so it's de- definitely 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 worth waiting for so our last guest modern soccer coach world cup podcast is dan machichi uh, dan is the former palace spurs and mk dons academy coach where he helped develop uh, the one and only Delhi alley uh, who's starring in this World Cup and is looking like he's going to play a big, big part in it. He also then worked with the England youth teams, worked with the England under-16 team, uh, took them to success in the 2015 Nike International Cup. And then that group progressed to the under-17 team a year later, two years later, and won the FIFA World World Cup and had that huge success then. So um, I interviewed him in a full, with the full podcast this morning and similar to Jose Maria Baccaro it was it was just different class Dan thinks of football in such a creative and different way and is so enthusiastic and passionate and looking at other cultures and trying to take things and instill them in the English players that it was it's an hour long and it's just it's absolutely brilliant I'll get that up in the next probably in the next week um so here he is. Here's his, his World Cup insight. You're Gareth Southgate and you're preparing for the World Cup coming mm. off a Premier League season. Mm. How would you approach that two-week period? Would you would you work them hard? Would you let them relax? What? How would you balance mm. that? I think that um, obviously you need to know where they're at in terms of their, their, their physical and, and mental um, state. You know, have they... For example, just lost the Champions League final, so you've got to be conscious of that um, number of games they've played. So you're aware of all that information. Um, I think that you've just got to get the balance right, I think. I think what Gareth's done really well is he's looked at the environment before he's looked at tactics. And, he, and, he's, and he's making the environment one where the players want to go, want to go into work. Um, they enjoy each other's company. Um, they feel relaxed but focused. Um, so I think you just you obviously get your periodization right in terms of there's going to be days where you know you need to you need to get more running into their legs and days when you don't, um, and you get your balance right in terms of tactical work and you know free play. Um, you know I just I just think you, it's all about balance really. Um, and I'm sure he'll be trying. He'll be aiming to get to Russia with. Um, and obviously, they've had two games in that time. So obviously, there's only so much you can do before a game, anyway. Um, so I think the key has been he's involved everybody. Everybody started a game. Um, the style of play has been consistent, and um, you know you obviously want to get to Russia with a lot of your building blocks in place. And then once he gets to Russia. I'm sure then that's when he'll start really honing in on his um, opposition analysis. But I, I would just I would have made it all about us looking at what we've done in the previous two or three games and um, making sure you integrate new players like Trent Arnold and making sure that they're they're integrated in the group and um, and m- making sure it's not all about football. So I know that they've had a couple of days off at different times, so he's broken the weeks up, um, which I think is important. Um, I've seen that they've had the red arrows there. They've had a few people in from the Marines. I know one of the guys really well. That would have been a really inspirational person for the players to see. So I think the fact that he's he's not just kept it to football is key. So I think it's just 
variety, I think, is important. Variety, and, and it's about us, would mm-hmm. be like the, the overriding, overriding um, big rocks, if you like, of, of the work. What, you know, when you're away with those teams, because it, it always seems to be a thing with England that the boredom, how do you keep the group together without getting them tired of each other in a short space of time? Um, I think with 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 the younger ones, it's different because you can't just sort of let them go out, you know, off on their own for three or four hours. You've always got that supervision there, but you do things like cultural visits and you'd, you'd break the, um, the, the, the trip up with... Every three days, we're going to eat somewhere outside of the hotel. We're going to get you out of here. Um, so you, you'd have you sort of. Um, I remember us going to Brazil, and you know we had a, we had a barbecue with the Brazilians on the third day, and then we played for Melenze on one of the other days, and we we stayed out after the game, went to a restaurant nearby. So, so I think that's important. Just you know, I've I've, I've seen with the seniors where. They haven't just always been at St George's. They would have been at, I know they've stayed at the Grove and trained at Arsenal. They've played at Wembley. They've played at Leeds. And although people may say, well, then that there's travelling on that. Yes, there is. But also, they've not been stuck at St George's for two weeks. So I think the fact that they've, broke, they've broken the pattern of wet <coughs> the venues has been key. Um, I think in terms of players not getting fed up with each other, I think that... Um, um, you know, you, you give them that, you give them, um, the free time. So, so then it's up to them to decide, you know, who they're in company with, um, in those periods. Um, and I think that, um, like I said, the fact that they've had a lot of variety in, in their week and they've had a couple of days away as well, it's sort of broken it up. They haven't looked it in gone. Oh, we're now here for fourteen days. It would have been right. We're here for three, then we go there for two, then we're off for two, and it just breaks the week up. Um, I think having a games room's key, um, and players like different things. So I think it's having variety within the games, the games room, um, and but I think that's important because it gets them together <coughs> uh, rather than them going off in their rooms and playing games. They're doing it in a games room. And providing it's a good space where there's sofas, so if you just want to chill out, you can. If you want to play table tennis, you can. If you can, if you want to do Xbox, you can. So you've got that variety within that space, and um, um, you know, and and not having too many rules. You know, I know Gareth's quite sort of laid back in terms of use of phones. Um, Providing you know it's not in a play, it's not when they're directly working, um, and he does that for the right reasons because he knows that by letting them keep their phones on them, you're more likely to keep them in and around the environment rather than them rushing off back to their room to check their phones every two minutes. So, I think um, treating them like adults and um, and give, giving them a lot of space is key. And like I said, the, the games and the the um, um, the, the, that encourages that interaction, but sort of on their terms. What are you expecting tactically from this World Cup? I think we'll see a lot of back freeze, um, but that'll be interesting to see. I'm hoping to see something a bit different tactically uh, from teams. Um, obviously, I think the climate comes into it, and I know it's a bit of a mixed bag over in Russia. So I think. When, when it's very warm, um, it'll be interesting to see whether teams can um, play at the intensity that they were hoping to. Um, and I think it always boils down to both boxes. You know, I think the game, the game is the game. Um, and at international level, you need players who can unlock organised teams. <clears throat> Obviously, you've got to be able to defend well. You look at the last World Cup, Germany were excellent at... Um, they, they, they didn't concede, I don't think, a set piece in their own half in the knockout stages. It was a really interesting stat. Uh, and obviously they've done their research in terms of in the knockout stage, a lot of games are decided from set pieces. So I think obviously how you defend is, of course, very important. Um, but ultimately to win games, 
Um, you're going to need players in the final third who can um, attack outnumbered, basically. Who can unlock the door. Um, I think um, we'll see, again, Guardiola's influence on a nation from watching the England team the last couple of games. You know, Guardiola had a massive impact on Spain in 2010 with his Barcelona team. He had a massive impact on Bayern Munich in 2014. <coughs> and I think we're seeing now his impact on this England team with Carl Walker's you know, intelligence um, in terms of being able to play in a back three now. I don't think we would have predicted that a year ago. Uh, I know he hasn't played there for Man City, but he does play very narrow for them. But the impact he's had on Sterling, the impact he's had on Delft, Stones. Um, and then obviously there's a massive Tottenham influence. So I think we'll see um, a lot of teams getting into those areas where Gareth's number eights are getting into those sort of diagonal corridor runs. Um, I think that would be quite, um, you know, we see that a lot with David Silva with Man City. Um, I'm hoping to see some really good combination play. Um, again, I think Man City have been excellent at this season. The amount of one-twos and the amount of goals they score by players just walking the ball into the net because the combinations have been so good. Um, so, <coughs> um, but I think it will come down to individual quality in the final third. You know, you look at Brazil's starting eleven; it's absolutely frightening. You know, they've got a strong spine to their team. Um, but the attacking players ultimately... Um, I think will be key in this World Cup. So thanks to Dan for his insight there. Like I said, podcast with him, the full episode will be coming up probably in the next seven to ten days. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, my first question is all always about the loads and how to get your team physically right. And Dan's point was, yeah, about the periodization and getting that physical information from the sports science area, but also... I think he said it was his second point that was about where players were emotionally and mentally coming off the Liverpool Champions League defeat and how that's going to impact players. And then coming on to that there about the environment that Gareth Southgate's setting and how he's focused on getting the environment right before he's focused on getting the tactics right. And I think that's huge progress for England because that's never been the case. I don't think they've ever had a leader that's looked at it almost like a business point of view. That's something that... a a business manager would say about culture, environments, getting that right, getting the day-to-day behaviours right before you take care of the, the big things. So I really enjoyed hearing that insight. And then also about building on that there was the part about allowing players to keep their phones because if they don't, they're going to be running, looking for them later on because that's the reality. So they'll be getting, if, you, if they're allowed their phones, there's a better chance that they will stick around and hang out with each other. Uh, we have this thought, I think, as our fear as a coach that if we give them access to their phones, they're just going to be sitting there looking at them. And sometimes that does happen. Uh, but I've also seen teams who have access to their phones not look at them for for 45 minutes because they're they're engaged with each other. And then maybe it's looking in the, the pocket and see if it's rang or not, but getting right back to the discussion. And is that better then than having teams constantly thinking about their phone even though it's in their hotel room or if it's on the bus or something like that there. So I thought that was a great point. And then the last thing I got from Dan's World Cup insight was the Guardiola influence. And I never thought of that before, about how Pep has impacted Spain, then he impacted Germany, and now he's impacting England. And and that almost indirect influence, what's that going to have on, on the culture of the team? And kind of what Erwin was was alluding to earlier about the environment that these players take their club habits into if they're coming from a complex environment uh, and then bring it into an environment that supports them having an opinion on the game and the way it should be played and how systems work and decision makers and all that good stuff that can only be a good thing so I am really excited about watching England uh, in this tournament and I don't say that to Craig very very often but I think I thought England were going to be were going to be good under Roy Hodgson. I thought they were going to be really organised. I have to say, but I think um, I think they're going to be I think they're going to go under the radar in this World Cup, and I think they could be the surprise package. So that was great from Dan. Like I said, keep an eye out that podcast. You don't want to miss it. Talk about creativity as a coach. 
talk about risk taking talk about thinking outside the box he is the man for that there so you don't want to miss that one there and that wraps up the world cup modern soccer coach podcast um like i said i just wanted to put something out to try and maybe get you prepared and i know everyone's excited about the the festival of football that's coming up this weekend i would just like the soccer coaching community to look at it from you know a, a deeper way than just yeah that was a good game or that was a good goal or such and such did this or such and such did that and can we then look and, and not look in, in almost in the rear view mirror or what coach should have done that or they should have done that but can we look you know in real time or even now in the, as the preparation stage can we be intentionally looking at seeing who's doing what and maybe you keep an article or two or maybe you write stuff down and, and look at how teams are preparing and let's not you know look at four four weeks time and then say that the team that won it prepared the best because other teams are punching way above their weight and, and doing some great things and I think as coaches it would be a shame if, if we didn't open our minds to what other teams are doing and using the the 24-hour access that we have to football over the next four weeks to have dialogues with people to have tactical discussions to watch a game not not with with one eye on our phone but to put the phone down for a couple hours and watch a match from a from a tactical point of view or, or maybe from a positional point of view and look for different things that that maybe we can inspire our teams and the younger players the same way we were inspired by the romarios or the baggios or the maradonas or the gascoins can the younger generation be inspired by by the by the magic that's going to be coming in Russia over the next few weeks, hopefully? So, thanks for listening. I would love to hear what you thought of that there, and maybe this discussion, or maybe it's a panel that we bring up in the Modern Soccer Coach in future. If you liked it, uh, if there's other people that you want to get on a panel, if you want to get on a panel yourself and bring a couple other people, and and you have a message from from anything from the youth development side or even if it's an aspect of the World Cup that you want to chat for. Uh, let's let's make it happen for sure, for sure. Um, you know, if, if, if it inspires other people to talk and it engages other people, then let's go. So thanks for sticking with it. Hope you enjoyed it. it was an absolutely brilliant panel. Like I said, there's a, a few of those podcasts will be coming up soon um, and they're definitely worth a listen. So as always, thank you for, for your support and for listening to the podcast. Before you shoot off, you know I'm going to ask you just to leave a, a little rating, maybe a five-star one on uh, on iTunes. Spread the word of the podcast. Always love people that are that are tweeting about it or giving it a mention or shooting a message out. Twitter at Gary Kernin, Instagram at Gary Kernin, Facebook Coach Kernin. Enjoy the World Cup. Have a blast. Sit down. Get your family involved. Get your coaching staff involved. Have some good debates. Watch it with a smile on your face and have fun. All right, thanks. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.